0: Good evening and welcome to another exciting interactive episode of That's Truth. I'm glad you've chosen chosen to tune into the Radio Lighthouse on this Tuesday evening. I don't know about you, but for me, this program on Tuesday evenings is one of the highlights of my week. I hope it's that way for you. And let me encourage you to invite others to tune into the Radio Lighthouse throughout the day, but especially on Tuesday evenings for this program that's truth so right now as i'm speaking go ahead and pick up your phone send a text or a whatsapp message or call a friend say hey that's truth is on on the radio lighthouse for the next 90 minutes and they are looking for your interaction i'm nathan owens and i'm in the studio with pastor david murphy good evening pastor and it's good to be back with you
1: yeah good evening nathan good to have you back as well hope you enjoyed your trip overseas
0: Yes, yes. It was a very good trip. Got some good relaxation. Now, in this episode, we're going to be continuing the discussion on the topic of the eternal security of the believer, which was started last week. Two weeks ago, there was a caller to the program who asked a very good question about Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 6. And I'll read that here to start out the program. Hebrews 6, 4-6 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. And those verses, some would teach, are used are are used to teach that uh, you can lose your salvation. So that started this series on the topic of eternal security. Pastor, you went through a lot of information last week, and I think it's only. Uh, prudent to start out this week with doing a brief summary of what you covered in depth last week. And at the beginning of the program, you were defining what is the security of the believer. Uh,
1: yeah, Let me run through very hurriedly what we, we covered last time. And let me say to the, the person who sent in the question, I intend to come to Hebrews chapter 6, and we intend to deal with that passage fairly exhaustively. But I felt that before we dealt with it we have to have put it in a setting and we need to interpret it against the general body of scripture the great danger that people make if they come to one passage of scripture and they are oblivious to the other teachings of scripture so that they make that one that one passage become a central doctrine when in natural fact there, there may be explanations so they can harmonize with the bible we uh, began therefore to uh, mention that we thought there were three things that were important in dealing with the passage of Hebrews chapter six, uh, one was that you have to interpret every passage of Scripture against the general tenor of the Scriptures. What does the Bible generally teach? And then you fit whatever scene to um, whatever verse or passage or, or chapter. You always try to fit that within the the context of the overall teaching of Scripture. Secondly, we told you that it's important to look at the background to the Book of Hebrews you cannot interpret hebrews chapter 6 without knowing what hebrews the entire book of hebrews is about and then thirdly we had to look at the the uh, the immediate context that is the verses coming before the verses coming after so that we can have a proper exegesis of hebrews chapter 6 now having said that uh we then begin to talk about the need uh for understanding that the bible doesn't contradict itself and that is why we're trying to fit Hebrews chapter six into the, the general tenor of scripture. We talked about um, what is eternal security, and we said that eternal security is uh, has to do with a person savingly trusting Christ as savior. And once he's brought into a redemptive relationship with Christ, God the Father guarantees that his uh, eternal security uh Guarantees him eternal security. In other words, once he's put his faith and trust in Christ, and has been justified uh, before God, he has a perfect standing before God, and he can be absolutely sure: there's no wrath for him, there's no judgment for him. Uh, judgment is passed, wrath is passed, and he is eternally secure. And then we made a distinction between such words as preservation, uh, perseverance, uh, security, and assurance, and uh, we we made it uh, clear that preservation has to do with God preserving the believer. It's somewhat equivalent to eternal security. Uh, Perseverance is is a word that is normally used by Calvinists, and it more talks about the believer enduring. Uh, So there seems to be a personal element there, a human element, uh, that the believer will endure. But if you know Calvinist teaching, they believe that it's the power of God that enables the believer to endure. And then um, the matter of assurance. Assurance is not just, it's more than eternal security. Assurance is when you realize this truth and you then live in light of that truth. You begin to enjoy the reality that you're eternally saved before God so that all your doubts and fears are removed and you now live what is called the, the abundant life. So we made that, that, um, that very clear. And then um, the other thing that we talked about was the two poles of theology. There's the Calvinist group on one extreme and there's the Arminian on one extreme. Uh, the Calvinists believe in eternal security. Basically, the Armenians believe that you can be lost. Every church fits in either one of those poles. And there's some in between, and uh, we, we we pointed out that in Antigua, you've got certain groups who are leaning calvinism baptists would be in that that category because we believe in eternal security there are those who are in the armenian camp that would be like methodists that would be like pentecostals and certain other evangelicals they believe that you can be saved today you can be lost tomorrow and so we made that very clear that there are two poles of theology it doesn't mean that because you are a person believing in eternal security that you are a, a ultra calvinist but it just means you're calvinistic in your doctrine in your teaching Uh, So we we made those uh, things, we clarified those issues, and then we began to look at the biblical doctrine, what does the Bible actually say about eternal security. And we looked at the Father's responsibility in in the term security. We began to look at what role the Son plays, and we uh, we were getting into the, the role of the Holy Spirit in terms of securing the believer. So that's basically what we covered uh, last time, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to continue here this evening.
0: Again, you're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program, an interactive program here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And we would we look forward to your questions and your interaction. If you would like to call and be put live on the air, you can call one two six eight. You can send your questions via WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454 Or if you are joining us on Facebook Live, you can just comment your question and it will get passed along to Pastor Murphy So Pastor, do you want to pick up, I assume, where you left off last week with the role of the son?
1: Yeah, Uh, let let me make one disclaimer here before we, we get into that part of it Uh, those that are listening, let's be very, very clear. We are not saying that all who profess Christ actually possess eternal life. There are people who have made decisions and who have made professions of faith, but uh, like any other uh, uh, movement, any other um, society um, or group of people, there are people who have made decisions, but they're not real, they're not authentic. So please don't think that we're saying that every single person you've ever known who made a profession of faith, that they are eternally secure. We're not saying that. We're saying that if a person has come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ by exercising faith and is justified before God, believing in the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ, and is depending on Christ and Christ alone, we're saying such a person stands before God eternally secure. So I just want to make that disclaimer so that you would not uh, think that we're saying that everybody you know Who's ever made a, a profession of faith was a Christian. Uh, that is simply not true. So I hope that disclaimer is, uh, is very, very clear to those who are listening.
0: I think that's one of the biggest arguments against eternal security that I've ever heard, or the most common, is that uh, you're saying, well, people can live how they want, and it doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah. we, we I think we pretty much handled that last time, that yeah. when a person is truly saved, uh, it is not... Uh, a license for that person because he's saved. Now he can live in sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear. Christ came to save us from sin. He didn't try. To, he didn't come to uh, encourage us to continue in sin. He came to break the power of sin in our lives. So when you have a person who professes uh, faith in Christ. And, and that person lives as though there's no change, there's no transformation. They have no desire to stay away from sin. They want to indulge in sin. They want to practice sin. They want to baby sin, and nurse sin. You can be absolutely sure that such a decision was a bogus decision. Because there's there's been no transformation, there's no change, this person's not a new creature. And all the profession in the world would never bring that person uh, into a saving relationship. Jesus himself warned that everyone that says, Lord, Lord, uh, will enter the kingdom. So we need to be sure uh, that not everyone that has claimed to be saved is saved, and we must not let what we observe to be the standard to judge what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible is a standard, not our experience, uh, is high above our experience. Coming back then to uh, where we left off last time, uh, remember we said that the Father' um, role is that his purpose must be fulfilled, and he has purpose. That whom he saves, um, he will complete a work uh, in that person's life. And the Bible tells us in, in Scripture that if he saves a person, he calls a person, he predestines the person, and he says that that person would be glorified. So that is the fivefold. Uh, chain of events that take place in a person's life. Once you are um, called, once you are foreknown and you are called and you are saved, he will glorify you. That is God's purpose, and nothing can thwart the purpose of God. So what he begins, he will complete. That's why the Apostle Paul says, he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day
0: of Jesus Christ. Yes, Pastor, we have a caller on the air. Uh, Thank you for calling, and go ahead. Well, good evening to um, Pastor Murphy and to the host of the listeners. Good evening,
2: sir. Pastor Murphy, you know that there are many preachers that preach that once save, always save, and there's some that preach, um, a person can lose his salvation, right? You're aware of that, right?
1: Yes, we, we're talking okay.
2: about them. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm one of those persons believe that, um, I'm a believer that believe a person can lose his salvation, and we're not going to do a running battle, right? We're going to do it a really little tonight. I'll show you why I say that. I give some scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. The first one is this. We said it? Um, the first I mean, chapter 4, verse 1, right? Mm-hmm. Many see the depart from the faith, and he see the seducing spirit. Yeah. Now, Pastor Murphy, um, I a the depart from something if they are not a part of it, okay? Now, what, I'm, what we're going to do is this. I'm just going to make my, my, my reasoning, my statement, and then... You can um, listen, and then after, because I'm using a cell phone, you can um, re- interact with me. Uh, yeah, you state uh, your case, you state your
1: case. Huh? You state your case, I'm listening.
2: Right, okay. That's first of the four one. Many shall depart from the faith, and give heed to the his in spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, a person cannot depart from something, if they're not part of it. You have to be a part of something to depart from it, okay? Then, we go through there that endure to the end, shall be saved. Mm-hmm. And that's Matthew ten twenty-two. So therefore, it's, a, it's an endurance thing. Therefore, a person can fall away because it says, they are that endure it to the end. And I believe that means to the end of their lifetime up to the point of their death. I may be wrong. But now, let me go to the scripture. Now, it says here, um, here was um, the Psalms, Psalms, David told Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. 11, right? Mm-hmm. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Yeah. So, therefore, if it, is possible, because if it was possible for the Holy Spirit to take from him, there would no need for him to say, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Then we go down to Exodus 30, Exodus 32, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Obviously. Yeah, Exodus 32, 33 and 33. Where he uh-huh. said, so um, Blot not my name out of thy holy book. Yeah. So therefore, God can't write a person's name because David killed God, don't block my name out of the Holy Book. Yeah. So it's possible, you call it God, all things are possible, mm-hmm. for God to block your name and put name out of his book. But therefore, it really mean that the person will have to do something real way out of what because when David committed this thing, right, mm-hmm. Bathsheba, he was guilty of what it's called um, uh, adultery. So under the law, he was supposed to switch down to death. Mm-hmm. So David knew he was guilty of being I have to be stoned to death. But he told God, don't take my name of this, so they would know it's impossible for him to take the name of this holy book. Mm-hmm. So I'm the person might I'm one of those persons who believe, right? I believe a person can lose the cyber business. When Peter almost was, he two on the boat, and they were sailing, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus came walking in the water. Peter was sure and secure in the boat. Mm-hmm. But when he saw Jesus walking in the water, he had the face to walk to say Master, is that you? Didn't he come and me? Mm-hmm. And Jesus tell him, okay, come. Mm-hmm. And he was saved in the boat now. And he stepped out of the boat where he was saved, and he began to walk by faith, going towards Jesus. But so when he took off his eyes off Jesus and looked around, he began to sink. Uh-huh. And then he said, Lord, save me. He so said, therefore, he had faith by walking in the water, but fear took over his faith. And he fell away. Mm-hmm. If, I know by doing that the president depart from the faith and the person can um, just say, Okay You you made a statement last week when you said, um, no man can plug them out of my hand. Mm-hmm. And I don't let me see what you find, just get it. John 10, you're trying to skip today. Jon ten, ten 28, 29, somebody, right? Guns 10, 20, 29. No man can plug them out of my hand. Mm-hmm. But, by mercy, a person, can, a person can jump out of his hand. <laughs> you may laugh at that, right? See,
0: yeah, I'm laughing the right now. So hold on. <laughs> the
2: clock, the clock something means you have to use force, right? If uh. you want to plug something, you have to use force to plug something. Yeah. But you don't have, enough, you have, to have to use force to jump out of something. Yeah. Can jump out of his yeah. the So his you're mind. more
1: powerful. You're you, 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 you can ju- you so powerful that you can jump out of God's hand. So you're an amazing person. You have super power. You must be <laughs> Superman.
2: <laughs>
1: you're omnipotent. He's omnipotent. his power. <laughs> anyway,
2: anyway we, can, we can agree. We can agree to disagree,
1: okay?
2: Uh. So I still believe that, um, I mean, we are, you know, all, none of us know all can interpret all the scriptures, none of us, not, yeah, you know? Yeah, right?
1: look, I, I'm going to respond to your your your, your scriptures. Yeah, but
2: uh, I remember, right? Uh-huh. You cannot depart with something that you're not a part of, okay? Uh-huh. I agree with you, start with it part with the Hebrews and so on and so on, right? The uh-huh. so, past Murphy, I'm one of those who believe. A again. Yeah, well,
1: I, can't, I, can't, I, can only, I can't persuade you. The scripture has to persuade you. So all I'm doing really is going to the scripture, and you either accept the scripture or you don't accept the scripture, but I can't persuade a person. If the scripture can't persuade you, I can't persuade you. I'm not saying they're not verses that are concerned to us. Even to me, there's some verses that would seem to teach what you're saying. But yeah. when you take the general ten of scripture and you see what the Bible teaches, you have to try to interpret the verses that you gave me to fit into the general tenor of Scripture. And uh. the general tenor of Scripture is very, very clear. Very, there are a few verses that you can just quote, but if you go through the general tenor of Scripture, especially. and by the way, could I say this? Please don't use the Old Testament as a basis for New Testament truth. When David said, Take not your Holy Spirit from me, the Holy Spirit did not come to dwell in believers at that time. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will come, he will dwell in you forever. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people and left people. So you're you're dealing with two different dispensations. You can't take Old Testament truth and make that the standard for judging New Testament doctrine.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. You mean Moses?
1: Well, the Holy Spirit came upon Moses. The Holy Spirit came upon Joshua. The Holy Spirit came upon...
2: uh, But you don't believe believe he he dwelt inside No,
1: he never dwelt. That's why Jesus made it very clear that the Holy Spirit, when I sent him, because the Holy Spirit was never sent to indwell man. He was sent to come upon man and then leave man, according to how God would use that person. But in the new dispensation, which our Lord talked about, he said, I will pray and the Father will send the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, he will dwell in you forever. Yeah, never dwell. Hello. I agree with that. Hello.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree.
1: Well, but that's the New Testament. That's not the New, the Old Testament. Was that the Holy Spirit would come upon a person and God would use that person, and the Holy Spirit can leave, but He never indwell forever. He could not have done indwell forever, by the way, because Christ's sacrifice was never taken care of, and okay. the Holy Spirit could not dwell in a person forever because the person was not yet justified in the sense that his sins were fully forgiven.
0: Okay,
2: everybody, I the that there was no justification to restore in life. The library, okay, let me ask you to Pastor Um, Some time ago, a, man, a person asked a question, that if a person is saved, right, and they commit suicide, right? Yeah. If you believe that the person can still um, enter the kingdom of God, and you told him... Um, I told him, him yes. Cer- I told oh, him right. yes, yeah. You told him under certain circumstances. If
1: the person is genuinely saved and forgiven and justified, yes, he could, he could in an act of insanity, he could commit suicide. You know why I can say that? Well, Look at Romans chapter 8. What shall separate us from the love of christ and he goes on should life or death anything we do in life or in death nothing can separate us from the love of christ once we are justified believers nothing absolutely nothing and okay. just in case just in case we think there was something else he said and no other creature <laughs> nothing absolutely nothing because
2: okay, I, I, I agree with that statement let me end up now yeah. one final question of boston murphy boston murphy every cell of the preachers in my life I have plenty plenty preachers right yeah and i i'd like to ask you this question do you believe that we of African descent, known as black people, are Gentiles?
1: Well, I did hear your question. Repeat that again.
2: We, we, we people who have African descent, right? Uh-huh. The refer to us as black people. Do you believe? Because some people say that we are Gentiles. Are you one of those. Oh. Wow. Are you one of those people who believe that we are Gentiles?
1: I'm a Gentile.
2: You're a gentile. Yeah, you're a gentile you, too. So you believe you mean if Africans are
1: gentiles. Well, all, all people who are not Jews are gentiles. All
2: right, good. Okay, I just with that. Have a good
1: night. Oh, that's okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, the Have a topic that. Look,
1: no, uh-huh. there are only three groups the Bible recognizes. You're either uh, a Jew or Gentile or exactly. you're part of the church. Those are the three yeah. categories the Bible recognizes. Uh-huh. So if you're hey, not you a Jew, me, hello. My yeah,
2: I'm gonna hang up now. Tell you what, um, you see Isaiah chapter three, right? Uh uh-huh. Isaiah chapter three. I'd like you to come, when you get time, Isaiah chapter 3, verse 3 to 16, right?
1: Isaiah what? 3?
2: Isaiah chapter 3.
1: Uh-huh.
2: From verse 3 to 16. Okay, read the whole chapter, right? Okay. You're going to see, We're not tonight, whenever I get time. What, am I, go, time, what, right?
1: what am I going to see there?
2: You're going to see, speak about the daughters of Zion, right?
1: Uh-huh.
2: It's a prophecy that I believe has not been fulfilled as yet. Isaiah chapter 3, right?
0: Yeah.
2: And it's going to explain to you that, the daughters of Zion, so and so on, so and so on so so, right?
0: Uh-huh.
2: Now you just read it and see which which name which which uh, what call okay, what, what nation of people or what type of people, what tribe of people you believe that scripture um it's just is to. The daughters of Zion, right? Isaiah chapter three, right? Uh-huh. And you and you look around the world today, yeah. like the scriptures that's being put to you right now, right? Yeah. We're not gonna deal with it tonight. You don't oh. read it, right? Okay. okay. I'm one of the first who believe that we are the original Hebrews of the Bible. I'm one of right? That believe black people uh-huh. are the original Hebrews of the Bible. Are
1: yeah. Well, I can't help okay. you. I can't help you wrong about that. I can't help that. That's just your interpretation. But all I will tell you is this: if you check the scriptures and uh, this nonsense talk about man being created and made in Africa, it's a it's a myth, a biblical myth, uh, not a biblical myth, a human myth. Read the Bible, and you'll know that every every direction, every single direction, the Bible is given in relation to Israel. Where was the Garden of
2: Eden? The so, it was east it was east of israel so it, it, yeah the problem yeah even with the same eyes that's right all you have to do look around the world today and see which group of people says that scripture okay have a good night okay okay
0: thank you for the call we appreciate your interaction as always yeah. <laughs> and keep encouraging others to listen <laughs>
1: There's so many myths up there that it, it's, it's just, and a lot of it stands to the fact that people really do not have any foundation for understanding Scripture. And when you don't have a basic understanding of the principle of Scripture, you always will go wrong in your theology and your doctrine, etc. But we're talking about the fact that uh, it, it, when it comes to this matter of eternal security, it's not something that we can reason out, it's something that's revealed to us. We go to Scripture and we find out what God says in His Word. We discover that God has a purpose. And God's purpose, the Father's purpose, is that when that person who God foreknew and God predestinate. That same person is called, that person is justified, and that person is glorified. That's the total package. So whom God foreknew and who God predestinated and who God justified and who God called are glorified. All the verbs that are used in Romans chapter 8 in that connection are all verbs that has to do with the past. God has com- that's a complete work that will happen. So once God justifies you, he's committed. Glorifying you, and nothing could stop God's purpose and halt God's or thwart God's God's ultimate purpose. And then we talked about the fact that God's power, we are not kept by ourselves, we are kept by the power of God. If salvation was dependent on human power and human keeping, none of us could keep ourselves. And let us be very, very frank that, uh, very, very clear that according to Peter, we are kept by the power of God unto salvation. Uh, That's to be revealed in the last days. So this power that saves us is the same power that keeps us. I want to repeat, you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. It is God that saves you. And once God saves you, He has promised and pledged to keep you until the day of redemption. So our continuation, our endurance, is not upon our human effort. Is dependent on God's power keeping us and working in our lives. So it is dependent on God's power. And then we began talking about the Son and what the Son's work is. And uh, we made it very clear that in his prayer, um, he prayed that the believer be kept and that he would lose nothing, He'd lose not one that the Father had given to him. And he would preserve all until that final day. Now it's inconceivable that Christ would pray to the Father and make that kind of a request and any that the Father had brought to him could be lost uh, that is unthinkable that the Father would not fulfill the prayer that the Son had made uh, for him and then not only his, his uh, high Priestly prayer but remember that he's currently interceding for us and the Bible says because he liveth and maketh intercession for us that he, we can be guaranteed that he can save us so, it's not just a matter of, of prayer and desire to keep us, but He Himself is performing that intercessory work. And He's also acted as our advocate, the one who acts as our lawyer, the one who acts as our defender. That's why Romans asked the question who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And then He says, uh, It is Christ that died, it is Christ that is resurrected, it is Christ that is reigning, it is Christ that is ascended. In other words, if He doesn't condemn, who else can condemn? Yes
0: we have another caller that has called in thank you and go ahead hi good evening how are we doing good evening sir. good evening
3: um interestingly enough um there is an answer um to our to our first caller um, in Matthew Matthew uh, chapter 7 um, Jesus speaking here he says not everyone that said unto me Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my father which, in hev- in which is in heaven yes. and many shall say many will say to me in that day Lord, Lord have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have we not cast out devils and in thy name have we not done many wonderful works Yes. Then I will profess unto them I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Yes,
1: sir. Right? So,
3: so I I go to Pentecost, right? But I don't believe, um, like I said, because I called him last week, right? Uh I don't believe that it it, it is about being saved and lost.
1: Uh
3: Uh-huh. Christ knows who are his. Right. Yeah. And this is why he, he 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 had prayed um before. Um, Father, you've given me, you know, I'm just paraphrasing, um um uh my disciples and not one of them are lost, um except the son of a um, tradition. The son of tradition, right? Yeah. So Christ knows who um actually are his you know are his. Correct right? correct. So, um, I mean, we will always be having this discussion about, you know, yeah. once we always saved mm-hmm. and Lawson, save and lost and, 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 and what have you, right?
1: Yeah.
3: Like I said before, the, the main mission here, right, uh-huh. is for us to go after the backsliders, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And as the word of God says, no man can come unto him unless the Father the draws, him. Yeah. draws him. Yeah. Like no man, right? Correct. I am enjoying this program. Uh, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I, I love it for anything that has to do with um, Bible discussion. I, I really love it. And it is I'm, I'm, I'm know, keep, keep it up. Keep it up. Um, I'll leave the rest of the the, 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 the talk for you tonight. Um, but just keep it up. And, um, um you know, just pray that we continue to 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 bless you guys with knowledge, yeah. wisdom, and also that um, that we will not walk in ungodly counsels. What God says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of ungodly. ungodly. Okay, ungodly. Yeah. All right? So good night to you guys.
1: I appreciate that, sir. I really appreciate that. I, I think you're right about that. The problem is that people are judging uh, Scripture by what they see. Uh-huh rather than allow the Scripture to say what it says. It, yeah. it, and there are people that are simply false professors. Uh-huh. And I think that we are using that as a standard to judge Scripture. Mm-hmm. And that's the mistake we make. We go into Scripture and see what God said. If God says, uh you will never perish, no, never, ever perish. That's how it is in the Greek language. Yeah. The per- how How is it going to perish? Is he, is he true to his word? Is he false to his word? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is why we got to... Uh, I, all I'm trying to do is to just see tell the folks what the, what the Scripture teaches. Then I'm coming to those verses yeah. that seem to contradict the Bible yeah. and I'm trying to point out that there are other explanations uh-huh. rather than... It, in other words, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It can't well, because it's God's Word. Yeah. It's, kind of up. <laughs> it's God's word. I mean he can't he can't say one thing and then do another. Right. And that's right. the point I'm making and that's why I'm trying to establish what the Bible actually teaches about this matter. And then I'll come back to these verses that they're raising mm-hmm. to see how those verses can be interpreted. Okay. To fit in the general ten of scripture. If we don't do that, we end up in total confusion. Yes,
0: okay. And
1: I'm trying to avoid it. I really appreciate your sentiments. I really do. Thanks. Thank you for calling and yes, thank Father. you for praying for us. God bless you.
0: Yes. Yes. Thank you very much for that call from Piccadilly, Antigua. We appreciate it. Keep listening. Keep encouraging others to listen. And Pastor Pickup,
1: yeah, the third thing I pointed out is that the our position in Christ. uh, The Bible says that when uh, we are saved, God places us in Christ. The Bible says that God imputes Christ's righteousness to us. So I am moved out of the old Adam. I'm now put in Christ, I'm in the, what is called the new, the new Adam. Now how am I going to be be removed from that if God has done that work for me? See, And uh, so it's a completed work when I am in, that's how God sees me. And I, I try to explain to our church uh, fairly frequently that the only reason God can deal with me in my current state, I am still have a sinful nature, I still have a propensity to the sin. But the fact that I have put my faith and trust in Christ and have had my sins forgiven, God has not only taken away all my sin, past, present, and future, He's also clothed me with Christ and gave me His righteousness. So that when God deals with me, He deals with me as though I am as righteous as His Son. That's the biblical doctrine of justification. Without that, God can never deal with any sinner. And that is why I could not have a relationship with God, I could not pray to God, I could not intercede before, I could not go before the throne of heaven, if I was not in Christ and God viewed me positionally as in Christ, uh, with having Christ's righteousness, because I can't approach God with my own righteousness. So the biblical doctrine of justification is the really key to understanding your security. If you're justified by God, you are glorified by God and you are in Christ. How does a man move himself out of Christ when God has already done this? Is a work of God has done from eternity. The other thing is that uh, I think is important it has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit, and once we begin to understand what the Holy Spirit's work is in our lives, we have a, a third strand that adds to the power of this fact that we are eternally saved. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit. First of all, He regenerates us. Okay, there's a call.
0: Yes, we have another call, our pastor. Uh, thank you for calling from Bendel's in Antigua. Go ahead with your question.
4: Hello, good night, Dr. Moshe. Good, good night, sir. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I am attend the Pentecostal church, but I'm a Baptist by nature.
1: Uh-huh.
4: Why I believe in one, say what we say, why I believe in that. Yes, sir. Because the Bible says, John 5, John you think I have ever written unto you? But believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know.
1: You have eternal life.
4: That you may know that you have eternal life. Correct. So how can you be? How can in you know God if you don't have it? <laughs> in the midst of God. Yeah. And then you are to fall out. Yeah. I don't believe in that. I believe if you can use fellowship with God
0: yeah.
4: and give me love, with your enough. And if you don't want to obey Him, either He cut too short. Yeah. Correct. If you definitely accept Christ, you not job pretending. They are supposed to and I'm free, and then I love and can do what I want. Now, if you genuinely accept Christ as a Lord and personal Savior and come to me nothing my Father gives me no one is able to knock them out of my hand. Yes. So if you can save one not telling me that God is not able to, to keep you. Yeah, the problem with a lot of people is that they think they're keeping themselves and once you, how can you ever enjoy, let me ask you,
1: how can anybody enjoy the Christian life? if you don't know how much you've done to keep yourself so you're always in limbo you're never just sure well did i do enough am i holy enough am i righteous enough you cannot enjoy the christian life with that level of uncertainty and then when you compare yourself with some other people who are far excellent and growth in the christian life and you know your prayer life may not be like their prayer life They're, they're you know they're really prayer warriors as long as we are thinking that it's what we're doing, we cannot enjoy the Christian life. We just simply cannot enjoy it. If we understand salvation is something that God does in us, that he redeems us, he regenerates us, he keeps us. He promises that he will glorify us, and what he's begun, he will complete in us. When we got that kind of assurance, because... All of us have weaknesses. All of us fail at some time. And if we are, our joy is dependent on the fact that we remain perfect, <laughs> I don't know if anybody can enjoy the Christian. You can never have the abundant life. But once we understand that we're justified before God, that we declare righteous, that we're righteous as Christ. You know, I read this morning that Jesus said, the Father loved us as he loved the Son. That's mm-hmm. the most amazing statement you could ever read. And it's right there in John uh, that the Father loved the believer just like he loved his Son. Uh, uh, and nothing can separate us from the love of God according to Romans chapter 8 so I um, I really appreciate what you're saying and uh, I hope that others come to this kind of knowledge but I do admit there are some passages of scripture that seem to teach contrary and that's why we need to interpret those passages and there are explanations for those passages that would allow a person to maintain uh, eternal security in in Christ and yet be able to put those passages in proper perspective so that is what we're really trying to do. Establish that what the Bible teaches about eternal security and then all those passages that people will raise, uh, we will deal with those and show the explanation that helps them to fit into the body of biblical truth without contradicting scripture.
4: But 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 if I, but I do what uh if I do what in the old testament we brought on Abraham. Uh huh. and the way you what's going on and but i with uh, just just I got tell God if we get five, ten, yes, man, fifty, I just man, he will, yeah, yeah. He, will, if he will stay for them, God tell him, have go ahead, yeah, and he couldn't get that. You're right, and why do we go ahead? Still I'm saying, and listening. and not move away from there. Yeah, so so if God was not job God and I got that keep it from it. Lot would have consuming in Sodom
1: correct and, and, and let's ask a question which of us reading the story of Lot and Abraham ever really believed that Lot was a righteous man
4: yeah,
1: uh, I mean, who who would believe that? Yeah, B- but uh, very, very clear that in spite of the fact that Lot was a backslidden person who actually lost his family because he was a very carnal person, materialistic, pursuing what Sodom and Gomorrah offered, wouldn't even come out. And even when he was brought out, uh, he's still reluctant to to stay. And they remember that even after he was brought out, he commits incest with his daughters, and uh, he has two children. But yet. The Bible says he's a righteous man because he was justified by his faith just like Abraham was justified. That- so it's not, it's not, you, no. the problem with people is that they think they're keeping themselves. If you're keeping yourself, you, you're not saved. I'm not saved. It is God that does this work in us and God that will keep us and uh, I think people need to understand that it is all about God. It, it's, it's very little about man. Our response is just He offers a gift of the eternal life, and all is required is that faith takes hold of that gift and trust that gift, which is the uh, the, the, the the eternal life in Christ, because it's propitiatory work on the cross. Once we do that, God guarantees that once I justify you and I make you righteous like my son is righteous, I guarantee you that you're going to be glorified. I will keep you. You don't have to keep yourself. I will keep you. This is what God has pledged to us. And this is why we can have joy. This is why we can have peace. This is why we can sing. This is why that we can go to sleep at night and lay down on the pillow and not worry about if death comes and walk through the shadow valley of death. But that can never be as long as I believe that I must keep myself. And it depends on what I do. The question is, how much must I do? Yeah. So we end up where we can't enjoy the Christian life and the fruits of the Christian life, which is not what God intended. Okay. I appreciate so much your calling.
4: Yes, thank you. Lord. God bless you. And keep on doing good work. Amen. God bless. I believe God bless you. Okay. And bless you. Take okay. a good night. Thank you, sir. Good night. Thank you for the call.
1: Yeah. Let's return to the fact that we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we said that He's the one that does the regeneration. Now, regeneration is the implantation of a new nature in the believer. That's why the Bible says that we are new creatures. Um, the book of Ephesians tells us the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that worked in the believer life to brought him to faith. It took tremendous power to transform a person who is dead and trespass in sin to quicken them to make them alive and make them a new creature. That is why when Christ, a person, is really, really saved, there must be a change. Nobody can ever be saved if there's not a change. And this is where it is so bogus for people to get online and talk about, I'm a homosexual, I'm a Christian, I'm a lesbian, I'm a Christian. No such creature exists. It doesn't exist. Right? Uh, uh, later on, I will probably respond to the question people ask about Judas. I will show you in the Bible that the Bible says Judas was not a believer. I, can show, I will show you in the Bible the Bible that Judas was never cleansed. Uh, I can show you in the Bible, the Bible that Judas was a, a, a thief. That was his nature. It was never changed. So you must not use uh, Judas as an example because Judas was never a person. He never believed. Uh, I, I can show you that in the Bible. I can show you he was never cleansed, and I can show you that he was a thief by nature. His nature was never changed. But that we'll come to that at some other point. The other thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is supposed to indwell the believer. And I mentioned a moment ago, if you look at John chapter fourteen verse sixteen. Christ said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will indwell you forever. Not partly, not even take, he will indwell in you forever. This is what happens when a believer is truly saved. When the Holy Spirit takes up residency in a believer, he is there forever. You can't ignore verses of Scripture like that. It even means that the Holy Spirit is in a believer forever, or he's not forever. And Jesus Christ said that, in his tr- his uh, his people, when his Spirit comes, he will indwell the believer forever.
0: What was uh, the reference to that?
1: That's John chapter uh, fourteen, verse sixteen. You'll find that he'll abide in you forever. And then uh, the Holy Spirit baptizes the believer into the body of Christ. You find that in First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, we become part of the body of Christ. But that is done through the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit who places the believer in Christ. So we're no part of that body. Christ is the head; We're no part of that body. And the Holy Spirit is responsible for putting us in Christ and making us members of His body. And then the other great truth is that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. I want to read Rome, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, verse number 30 and listen to what it says. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed until when? Until the day of redemption. In other, Until Christ comes back and uh, take us to be with Him where the body is actually redeemed. The Holy Spirit seals us until that day. That seal cannot be broken because now God doesn't make mistakes. God knew everything that would happen before. And if God has justified you and redeemed you and called you and predestinated you and and sealed you and indwelt you, He did this until Christ returns and take you to be with Him. So we are sealed until the day of redemption. So when when you look at it, You've got the work of the Father in terms of His purpose and His power, keeping the believer. You've got uh, Christ's high priestly prayer for us. You've got Christ's present intercessory work and His advocacy for us, uh, working on our behalf. You've got the Holy Spirit regenerating us, baptizing us, uh, sealing us, indwelling us. You've got the entire Trinity involved in the preservation of the believer. Now tell me, by what stretch of the imagination can a believer be lost with the entire trinity working in the interest of bringing us to complete eternal life what go back to Romans chapter 8 we ask should life or death or things in heaven or things in the earth uh, or principals or powers or any other thing basically nothing who will bring anything to charge If it is Christ that died, it is Christ that is resurrected. It is Christ that died. It is Christ that is resurrected. It is Christ that is uh, interceding for the believer. The only one that can bring a charge against God elect is God himself. God has said there is no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. Right? That doesn't mean that we are perfect. But it just, me- it just means that God has pledged himself to preserve us. And that's why we can have blessed assurance uh, as a believer. The other thing that I would like to draw attention while we believe in eternity is the promises that Christ made. For example that we will never, never, ever perish. In the Greek language, it's a double negative. Is "ume," which it means we will never, ever, until the end of the ages, perish. No, that's a promise that's made to them that believe in Him, that such a person would never perish. So, how then can we perish? How then can we lose our salvation when He has made that pledge that we should never, nor ever per- perish? How can that happen? And then, in John chapter 5, he says, And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And the tense there is the present indicative. I, that, that means that they have eternal life, continue to have eternal life, basically. That's what he's saying. And that he's already passed from death to life. That has already taken place when we put our faith and trust in Christ. So that's another promise that he made. And um, John chapter 10 He says that a sheep would never perish. No, never perish. And then he says, you see, in the Father's hand and in His hands. And and the word never perish there means unto the ages or forever, basically. It is uh, in the Greek language. So you've got the promises of God uh, where He pledges these truths. And then if you go to Romans chapter 8, which we've been covering in our church in Romans chapter 5, it tells us that if the believer is justified, moreover, he shall be saved from the wrath of God to come. So if a person is justified before God, you know, uh, Paul says it can be guaranteed there's no wrath for him. And then Paul adds in chapter, v- verse 10 of chapter 5, therefore believer has been reconciled by the death of Christ's Son. He should now be saved by his life. So if his death reconcile a believer with God his life now how in the world uh, a person he can be lost if his death save a person how can his life not keep that person saved until eternity that's the point he's making the death resulted in his conversion but he says his life guarantees his salvation and Christ ever liveth so you it's impossible to come to the Bible and ignore these passages of scripture where it speaks with such finality and such clarity and such an exhaustive treatment of this subject that the believer is eternally saved uh, before God. I, like, uh, how, I want to yeah, make one quote ahead. here. Yeah. I want to quote what Charles Stanley said, and I think he made an interesting statement. He said these words. He said, Can joy and insecurity really coexist? Hmm. How realistic is it to expect us to rejoice over a relationship that is only as secure as our behavior is consistent. Now, I think that's a marvelous statement. That is so well said that the same thing I've been saying, we cannot enjoy the Christian life as long as we think it is we that are keeping ourselves, and it's dependent on what we do to keep ourselves safe.
0: How do you respond to the person who says, well, there was obviously confusion among those who were writing the New Testament on this topic some verses, you even admitted that mm-hmm. some verses are troublesome mm-hmm. uh, and maybe diff- have difficult uh, answers. And so, because there was confusion, and Jesus didn't, or the Holy Spirit didn't make it super clear, uh, there were multiple uh, approaches recorded in Scripture. How would you respond? I
1: don't. I don't. I don't um, accept that. I think the problem is that the verses have explanations that once you begin to uh, believe that the Bible is infallible, that God is not the God of confusion, once you begin to believe that the Bible doesn't contradict itself, when you find an apparent contradiction, there has to be an explanation that uh, helps you to understand how that can fit in with the general tenor of Scripture. And I think all of these verses that were mentioned uh, for example, the one that was mentioned in Matthew chapter 24, he that endures to the end. If you read that particular passage, you'll see what it's talking about. It's dealing with the only tribulation period. I mean, you read it very, very carefully. It's dealing with tribulation period. And it's talking about people who are under severe persecution in that day, that the endurance, uh, enduring and not giving in to the Antichrist, will be genuine, authentic proof that they are converted. So if you understand the context of the passage, that's the biggest problem we're having with people with, who take Scripture from here and Scripture from there. They don't look at the background to the epistle, what the epistle is about, what's the general teaching, what's the theme, and then what is the immediate context? What comes before that text you're dealing with and what comes after? This is the problem, I would say, with the Seventh-day Adventists, with the whole idea of soul sleep. They take one verse out of the book of Ecclesiastes and use that as a basis for believing in soul sleep have completely ignored so many other verses in the Old Testament that teach that the Spirit goes to be with the Lord, and especially also the New Testament that teaches absolutely absence the body present with the Lord. And the mistake that they make is that they do not understand what is the purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes, what's the theme of Ecclesiastes, and uh, I don't have time to deal with that right now, but basically, is, the, is, the, is Solomon going through a time of, of uh, eclipse where he's becoming a pessimist? And he's looking at life through the life of a man under the sun. And he's speaking to issues as a man looking at it from a human perspective. But you will never understand the book until you come to the end of the chapter when he tells you, Look, this is the conclusion, this is what I've reached after evaluating it from a human perspective. Fear God and keep His commandments is the whole duty of man. But, but take one passage of scripture and then try to build a whole doctrine around it, is where they've gone out. And they can't retract that now because there's so much ingrained in their writings and in the teaching that we've been embarrassment not for them to come to the truth. And so they interpret every other passage scripture to fit into that one.
0: So tradition takes over scripture.
1: Correct. It's called it's called eisegesis, reading in the scripture rather than exegesis taking what the scripture says there. But I think that's the problem with uh, most of these verses that people raise about eternal security, etcetera, et cetera. I think once you begin to understand the context of what is being said, there is an explanation. Uh, the the other thing uh that is important. Uh, is understand that uh, the believer has been perfected uh, by the sacrifice of Christ I want to call your attention to uh, Hebrews chapter 10 for just a moment for those of you who are listening Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 Uh, it says um, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified So the believer before God has been perfected because he's clothed in the righteous. And he's done for how long? For two days? For two weeks? For one year? For 20 years? Forever. In God's sight, the person who is truly saved and justified before God is already perfected. If you go to Ephesians, it tells us that we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our position, being in Christ that wherever Christ is positionally, we are there, and eventually uh, that will happen in actuality when our Lord returns to us. But we are already in Christ, and Christ is in heaven uh, seated before the Father. So I think that when you look at all of these uh, particular teachings uh, in the Scriptures, it becomes abundantly clear that the Bible teaches that the believer is secure in christ jesus
0: you're listening to the caribbean radio lighthouse the name of the program is that's truth and if you would like to ask pastor murphy a question you can do that in multiple ways you can call be put live on the air 268-462-7420 or you can send up your send your whatsapp or text question to 268-782-1454 speaking of calls we have a call from belmont antigua Quickly, go ahead with your question, please. Huh? Caller is no longer there. If you call back, we will put you back on the air. Pastor,
1: uh, let me. Uh, could I say something else? Yeah. I mentioned Judas a moment because he came in the same night we had that question about Hebrews chapter six. The question was, "What about Judas?" Yeah. Well, what about Judas? I would like to refer the those who might be listening to John chapter six and verse sixty-four for just a moment. Because the idea is that Judas was saved and then he got lost. He became the son of perdition. But if you look at John chapter 6, verse 64, it gives you some light on this matter. Verse 64 reads these words Jesus said, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. And who would what?
0: Betraying. betray him.
1: Very clear. He he knew who was a believer and who was not a believer. the context of this, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his disciples. And he's talking to those who are following him. And he's saying to them, you know, that he knew uh, he knew who would betray him, who believed. And clearly, Judas is one who did not believe. The other passage of Scripture I think is interesting is John chapter 13, uh, verse uh, 10 and 11. Uh, we read there, Jesus said unto them, to him, He that is washed needeth not saith to be washed his feet, but is cleansed every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who it would betray him. Uh, Therefore he said, ye are not all clean. (laughs) So clearly Judas had not experienced the the washing uh, of forgiveness and pardon. So, he's not only not a believer, he's not a person who has uh, put faith so that he can be washed and clean and brought in relation with God. And the other verses, which I didn't have at this point in time, is when it said that he betrayed him uh, and uh, he was the one that kept the, 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 uh, the kitty because he was, a, he was a thief. So, that's what Judas was. From the beginning to the end, he remained a thief. His nature was not changed, his character was not changed. He was part of the the uh the disciples, basically, but he's a man who's unchanged. That's the same problem we have in our churches. We have people that are saved, we have people who are not saved. Now can you identify some? Of course you can sometimes, but other times you don't know. But it is a, a fearful warning about being part of God's people and not belonging to God's people. And that is why our Lord warned in Matthew chapter 7, it was brought to our attention earlier, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, Lord. So we must not use a character like Judas to say he was saved and then he got lost. The problem was he never believed, he was never cleansed, he remained a thief, he was never saved, so he could. He was always lost, basically. So I hope that uh, that clears up that part about uh, Judas.
0: That's a sobering reality to think that someone was in the presence of Jesus ministering for th- the disciples were with him for three years, and he three years of being in the presence of the Son of God did not accept Christ. It's as a possible.
1: Listen, I've, uh, I've known of a, a deacon who was in the church for a long time, and one Sunday he got up and you went know, on the island and got saved. And told the church that uh, he knew he wasn't saved, but it was his pride.
0: Mm.
1: Here is, he was a deacon, everybody figured he was okay. He had heard the gospel many, many times, he never responded, but it was just his pride that kept him in that condition. Mm. And there are people like that. And there are people, we ought to create an atmosphere in the church when a person finally becomes enlightened. And they do come forward and make a decision. We rejoice. We just should look down our noses and say, well, that, this we have been a hypocrite all the time. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that we are so self-righteous that we get so cocky that there may be people in our congregations that would like to make a move, but they've been there for so long. We've identified them as Christians. may even that baptized God involved in church, church activity. But one day it dawns on them, finally, listen, if this is true, I don't have this thing. And they, but the problem is their pride. See, It's a fearful thing, but it can happen. It really, really can happen. And uh, But I think the church should always be such that people feel comfortable that when they do make a decision and come forward, the people love them enough and don't believe that they're just being hypocritical for all those years, but finally the truth has really come through. I don't know if we can ever reach that stage because we're always uh, judging people and uh, by our standards, and that doesn't help the situation. So people can sometimes remain in darkness, even though Uh, they would like to do something about it.
0: You're listening to That's Truth. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. Or you can send your question via WhatsApp or text. 2268 782 1454. And the third way you can communicate with us this evening is if you're watching us on Facebook Live. Thank you for those of you who are joining us this evening on Facebook Live. You can comment your question and it will be passed along to Pastor Murphy.
1: Yeah, the, the question that people ask me sometimes is what happens if it's true that a believer, once he's truly, authentically saved and regenerated, justified, uh, one that is called by God and one predestined uh, to to, um, to glorification. Well, how do you explain? How then? What, what happens to a believer when the believer sins? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some religions that if you make a decision today and you backslide tomorrow, you've got to get rebaptized. There's a certain group here in Antigua that there are people who belong to that denomination that might have been baptized five and six times because every time you um, come to the Lord or whatever and you fall back you need to get saved again get to be baptized well again uh, I do not know how anybody can enjoy being part of that ministry how how do you how, so you're keeping yourself uh, and, and then how much <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that uh, really I try to imagine what it would be to believe that I am my salvation is dependent on what I do and and how, how, how good I am. Be discouraging. Be really discouraging, right? I mean, if it's dependent upon me, I have no hope if it's dependent upon me. I don't know what other people, I have no hope, right? Because we sin in thought, word and deed. The question is, how much do you sin so you lose your salvation? And if we went on in life thinking that way, we will never ever come to the point where we really enjoy um, our position before God. But let me just say to a person, when a believer sins... Um, and believers do sin. Uh, Peter, we all have know what he did, deny the Lord, uh, uh, practice um, uh, um, with the Apostle Paul in book of Galatians, uh, social discrimination, we might call it social bigotry, associate with the Gentiles when the Jews are not there, and when the Jews come down, he separate from the Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul had to withstand Peter to the face and tell him he was wrong. We got the matter of Lot, uh, who the Bible calls righteous, but nothing in Lot's life ever indicates that he was a righteous man. Uh, But we know that believers sin. When a believer sins, um, the fact is that uh, God will somehow speak to that person to bring some kind of conviction in that person's life. Uh, Sometimes God will send an individual to confront that person. So it's conviction, it's confrontation. Some some way God will get to that person's attention. If that person doesn't respond to God's convicting power of the Holy Spirit or confrontation with a a believer, uh, uh, God will put his chastening hand upon that person. That's where the book of Hebrews chapter 12 really deals very exhaustively with this matter. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 11, it talks about divine chastening. And uh, he tells us that if we are going to uh, any behavior that is contrary to God's will and we're living in sin, God will chasten us. If we are going to those situations, there's no chastening hand of God, we ought to be alert that we may not be authentic sons, we may be bastards, we may be illegitimate children, people claiming to belong to Him, but God's chastening. But if chastening doesn't bring us back, uh, there is a serious sin that the Bible talks about. and I am not too sure if people are aware of it or not, but there is such a thing as a sin unto death. And what that merely means is that when God begins to chasten a believer, He doesn't respond. God confronts him through the aid of some human agent. God brings conviction through the Holy Spirit. There's no response. He gets hardened. There comes a point where God draws a line and said, that's it for that person. And there's nothing that person can do afterwards. No repentance. They will be judged and they'll be taken out of life prematurely. Uh, let me draw the audience attention to verses of Scripture that uh, talks to this matter. Uh, John uh, chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5 is the classic verse that deals with this matter. And in John chapter 5 verse 16 and 17 um, it reads And if a man sees brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death there is a sin unto death i do not say that he shall pray uh for it so there is a time in a person's life when you to the point where there is no redemptive feature that you can do or act you can do that god has drawn the line and said listen you've gone far enough i'm going to take you out prematurely by the way we got other illustrations of this in the bible if you look at um uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 3 1 Corinthians chapter 3 I'm looking at it here i uh, try to find it quickly and verse 16 uh, I'm sorry that's, that's the wrong passage um, there is in um, Corinthians chapter 6 where it says if a man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy that person. And that has to do with the chapter 6, has to do with the, the matter of fornication, a uh, person defiling the temple of God. And it says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and warns the person that if we engage in sexual activity, we join to a harlot, we join the harlot to the Lord because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And he warns that if we practice that kind of moral corruption, God will destroy that person. That's like a, a Christian who goes out and uh, is living a moral life and gets some kind of a disease, some kind of what AIDS or herpes or uh, chancroid or, or some other form of uh, these 26 STDs that are out there. Uh, God can cut you off early. It doesn't mean that you're lost. That's not, what, that's not what it's teaching. But there's a sin unto death that you can be prematurely removed because of your sin and then in Corinthians chapter 11 when believers were abusing the Lord's Supper again that's a that's a sin unto death it says that some of you are weak some of you are sickly and he says some of you are asleep doesn't mean that they're sleeping in the bed it means that God has removed them uh, prematurely so there is a sin unto death and, and, and it's something to be fearful about we cannot sin with impunity as believers there are temporal consequences for believers while they engage in activities that are contrary to God's will. And to persist as a, in a believer, in a, uh, for a believer to persist in sin in his life, it can lead to what is called a sin unto death, where God says, that's as far as you will go. I will give you no more time, and no matter what repentance you offer me, I, you've crossed the line, I'm going to remove you prematurely. Now, I think that's where the right of Hebrews, chapter 6, that's what he's talking about. And uh, I want to come mm-hmm. to Hebrews, chapter 6, uh, shortly, and uh, I want to deal with that at this point in time because I promised the the, the the person who brought in the question that we'll deal with Hebrews, chapter 6, and I do want to deal with that.
0: Real quick question, this is just a yes or no. Is the unpardonable sin the same as the sin unto death?
1: No, the unpardonable okay. sin is something different. The unpardonable sin is where you attribute the works of Christ to the Holy Spirit. And here's God working in mighty power. And by the way, the unpardonable sin is that you're aware that this is the power of God, but yet you're contributing it to the devil. That was in the case where our Lord was um, performing miracles and casting out demons, and the Pharisees, rather than accept that he was actually them using God's power, now to accept that he was using the power of God was to accept that he's the Messiah. But they're so bent on their theology that this could not be the Messiah, is a deceiver. Rather than face the truth, they deliberately rejected the truth and said, he does it by Beelzebub. And Jesus said to them, look, uh, there are sins that can be forgiven in this life, but if you sin against the Holy Spirit, you cannot be forgiven in this life, nor the life to come. That's the unpardonable sin. It's attributing the power of, and work of God to the, whole, uh, the Holy Spirit to satan and his demonic powers and that is the unpardonable sin
0: you're listening to that's truth we're discussing the eternal security of the believer here on the program tonight this is an interactive program if you have a question for pastor murphy you can call and be put live on the air 268-462-7420 we appreciate those who have already called or sent in their messages this evening or you can send in your message 268 and this is via whatsapp or text message two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Pastor are you ready to tackle the yeah, verses? Yeah I want
1: to deal with Hebrews chapter 6 to show to, at least to help the, the audience to understand that this is where I say to you that whenever you come to a passage of scripture that seems to contradict the general tenor of scripture, general teaching of scripture uh, you have to understand that it is either contradicting scripture or there's another explanation that can cause it to be fit into the general tenor of Scripture. And I believe that Hebrews chapter 6 is. Now, there are several views to this chapter. Some people say, well, it's dealing with people who were saved as believers, and then they fell away and they could not be restored to salvation, so they lost their salvation. That That is one view. Uh, the other view is that he's dealing with a hypothetical situation. If it were possible for people like this to fall away, they could not be renewed. That is certainly a possible uh, explanation because having said what he said, he said to the believers, but beloved, I'm persuaded better things of you, in verse number uh, number 9. So it can be perceived as a hypothetical situation. If there was ever a case that a person can be lost, who was saved, this is what he would have to do. Hypothetical, but he says, I persuaded better thing. In other words, it's a hypothetical. That's another way of looking at it. The the other way of looking at it is to try to understand, look at it in this context. What is the right right of Hebrews dealing with? Now, there's no doubt in my mind that the right of Hebrews uh, is actually writing uh, to Christians. It's not a book to people who are unsaved, it's a book to Christians. In chapter 1, verse 1, he calls them holy brethren. He said that they're partakers of the heavenly calling. In chapter 3, verse 12, he calls them brethren. In chapter 4, he identifies himself with them, what you might call an editorial plural. He talks about we and us. So he includes them as part of whatever he is, as a believer they are. In chapter 5, verse 13, he calls them babes, babes in Christ. In chapter 6, verse 1, he says to them, let us go on. In other words, he's identifying himself with whoever he's writing to. In verses 9 to 12, in chapter 6, he calls them beloved. In verses 10 to 10, verse 10, verse ten, he calls them that we are sanctified. And in verse 9, uh, 25, he calls them brethren. He said, "us let us go on. In other words, it's very hard to believe that the people he's referring to in chapter 6 are not believers. If we're going to be honest, those kind of terms and those kind of epithets that are used to describe uh, these people, these are all biblical terms that speak to us as believers. So the other thing uh, that makes us know that they're believers uh, has to do with the things that he says about them. Um, uh, Let's look at it for just a moment. In, in, In verse number one, it reads, Therefore, leaving the principles of doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. And uh, the idea has gone to maturity. The word perfection there has to do that something that accomplishes the purpose to which it was intended. So God wants there's a purpose. We want to be like the image of Christ. That's the, you're trying to achieve that purpose of becoming more like Christ. It has nothing to do with sinlessness. Okay. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrines of baptisms, and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. This we will do if God permit. So what he's talking about is the matter that they need to go on to maturity, leave the basic elementary doctrines and now go on to maturity. If you read the previous chapter, uh, chapter number 5, he said in verse number 12, for when the time you ought to be teachers. You have need that won't teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as need milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses myth is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have the senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, in the context, he's dealing here with believers who need to go on to maturity, right? And he's telling them, let's leave the elementary doctrines. That I've that we've already talked about, and he talked about these six doctrines: the doctrine of repentance from dead works, uh, which has to do with the pre-converted days and the kind of works that had no benefit and would receive re- no rewards. But these are works that are stem from the flesh that would not lead to any life. And he talked about faith towards God, and this has to do with. Uh, the idea of leaving unbelief and putting your faith and trust in God. And then the teachings about baptism. So the word there, baptism, by the way, is an interesting word. The word is baptisma, and it has to do with ablutions. And uh, it's not the normal word that would use for baptism. Uh, baptism which is the word baptismos. Interesting. Every time that word, baptism, is used, and it's used two other times, by the way. Uh, it's used in chapter 9, verse 10, and Mark chapter 5, 7, verse 4. It has to do with Jewish washings. Remember, he's writing the book of Hebrews. It's written to Jewish Christians. And part of the teaching, he has to explain to them how Christian baptism differed from the different ablutions that Israel would practice, the Jews would practice. So he's already been through that process of explaining to them uh, about repentance, faith towards God, and what they call these washings, how that differ from Christian washing. And then the uh, idea of teaching laying on of hands, uh, how does that differ from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Uh, Remember the Old Testament, they put hands to identify with the sacrifice. In the New Testament, we find a laying on of hands to separate somebody to service. So he's clarifying those basic teachings about that. And then about uh, the resurrection for the dead. The Old Testament did teach the resurrection for the dead. You find that in Daniel chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 26. Uh, But now they're given greater clarity about what that means. Uh, And then eternal judgment. And again, the Old Testament talks about judgment to come. So these are like a catechism that the people who came into faith were taught these basic principles. And now he wants them to move on from here. And he wants to teach us some deeper stuff. The deeper stuff he wants to teach them, by the way, has to do with the priesthood of Christ. uh, A different from the Aaronic priesthood having to do with the Melchizedek priesthood, which he will explain in the chapter to come. Uh, But they they don't seem to be ready for that deeper truth. And he's pleading with them to move on. Now, the other thing that he says about uh, these people, um, if they do not go on uh, and mature, there's a danger of relapsing back into Judaism. That's the whole, the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews, is to uh, discourage these uh, Hebrew Christians who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. They were now going on quite well in the Christian life, but they were not a stalemate where they were facing persecution, chapter 10. They'd lost their property. They were facing all kinds of social pressure from their peers. And they're now tempted to go back to all the religious trappings of Judaism. Uh, and it's really an appeal to them. Why should I be persecuted? Could I not return to Judaism after the Judaism is passed, After the persecution, I return back to the Christian faith. So he's saying to them, No, no you, you can't relapse. And then he use, um, he tells them, here that if this were to happen he says for if it is possible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance seeing they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame Now uh, again the people he's talking to here are not people that are hypocrites the kind of language he used to describe these people, these are words that can only refer to believers. For example, they were enlightened. And that what that means that their eyes were open and they were illuminated, so they began to understand the truth. He said they tasted the heavenly gift. Now there's only one heavenly gift, that is Christ. He's the gift that will come down from heaven. He talks about it in John chapter six. So they and when they said tasted, some people say, well, they didn't eat him, they tasted him. That's not what it, <laughs> the Bible says that Christ tasted death for all men. So it's a complete, it's a word that has to do, it's it's something, it's actual reality. When we say that Christ tasted death for every man, what does that mean then? That he didn't really completely suffer and die? No. It's the language that speaks about being a Christian. And then he said, we're partakers of the Holy Spirit. They were recipients of the Holy Spirit. Uh, You can't interpret that to mean anything else. And then they tasted the good word of goodness of the Word of God. That is, they were the ministry of the Word. They began to appropriate the Word. They were following the Word. They were vitally related to God in respect to the Word. They were growing. But then they became stymied. And then he said they felt the power of the age to come. These people witnessed the mighty works of God by signs and wonders and saw the miraculous work of God uh, in their own lives. So these terms that are use... These five terms can only relate to a person who is a Christian. But then there comes a warning that if such a person uh, who has been enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and been a partaker of the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the Word of God and felt the power of the age to come, if such a person shall fall away to renew them again uh, to repentance. Fall away from what? Right? Eh? Right? again go back to Hebrews chapter 5 Hebrews chapter 6 he's warning them about unbelief and he's talking about faith in contrast to belief falling away from the faith life and going back into a state of unbelief falling away from following Christ by faith or going back into Judaism that's what he's talking about here and he's saying to them that if this were to happen uh, it would not be possible to renew them to repentance. Two things come here, comes to mind. When was this book written? Okay, this book was written about 65 AD. The temple and Judaism was going to be destroyed in 70 AD. Uh-huh. If they go back into Judaism, they're not going to have a chance to repent at all. They are going to suffer the same calamity that these other Jews followed. So he's warning, this is like they sin unto death you come to a point where God says, if you go beyond this point, I'm going to cut you off. These people are going to be cut off. And they're going to be cut off. This was written in 65 A.D. The Jewish rebellion started in 66 A.D. And it was that rebellion that culminated in the Romans coming in AD and destroying the entire nation of Israel, carrying the nation into captivity, destroying the temple. And those people that were carried into captivity 70 never returned until 1845, the descendants of those people. So this is talking about a temporal wrath and temporal judgment. If you go in this direction and you don't continue in, 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 uh, in maturing in your faith and you fall back into immaturity and you fall back into going into Judaism, you're going to be destroyed with all these Jews because you remember in Matthew chapter 24 our Lord warned that not one stone of the temple would be met those that had rejected him he told that the temple would be destroyed the whole Jewish nation would be destroyed now if they go back and lapse back into this thing this is exactly what will happen to them they're not going to have an opportunity to repent because they're going to suffer the temporal consequences just as the Jews did in 70 AD when uh, I'm told by the way that the believers started leaving Jerusalem Around 65 AD and just before, after James, the brother of Job, was killed. Because the Lord had warned that Jerusalem would be destroyed in Matthew chapter 24. They knew that day was coming, 70 AD. They didn't know exactly what time, but they know the Romans were destroyed because the Lord said that that is what will happen. So when you come to pass, there's an explanation for this. This is either the sinner unto death, where God has drawn a line, or that this is the temporal consequences of suffering uh, if you go back into Judaism. This is what will happen to you. You're not going to have the time to repent and restore yourself to this kind of maturity. If you read chapter 5, it has to do with going on to maturity, a life of faith and maturity. But these believers, if they're going to fall away back into Judaism, they're leaving the life of faith and going into unbelief. And God is going to punish them and they'll be no, given no room to repentance because they're not going to have enough time to do that. That is how... I would interpret this chapter to fit into the biblical teaching about the believer being eternally secure. So we're talking about temporal punishment in this passage that you fall away you're going to suffer the consequences you're not going to have a time to be restored this has nothing to do with eternal damnation and the reason why it cannot refer to eternal damnation because the Bible tells me in Christ the believer the sheep of Christ would never perish nor never ever perish and that's why I say to people that when you come to pass the scripture like this and it creates difficulty for you you either have to believe that the Bible contradicts itself or you have to find the context, understand the background, to appreciate how this can be fit into the general teaching of Scripture. And then once you begin to see that, uh, it becomes abundantly clear that we are still secure, we're not going to be saved, we're not going to be lost.
0: As we've been discussing different cults and different religions, you've been referencing the fact that there's a spiritual battle, which is clearly taught in Scripture, where there's God's forces and there's the forces of evil that are fighting against Him. Do you believe that Satan has pushed or promoted or encouraged this lack of teaching and clarity of teaching on eternal security in order to make Christians less confident, less effective, and thus less of a, a weapon in God's hands? Look, or is that over-spiritualizing things? Uh,
1: no, I, I just think as long as there's a biblical truth that is either being ignored or being twisted or distorted, the enemy is always behind it. Uh, Remember that uh, the Word is the sword of the Spirit. The only instrument God has to work in the believer's life is through the Holy Spirit using the Word. So uh, if Satan can keep us in a state where we are in doubt, number one, we can't enjoy the abundant life. We can't portray to the world the abundant life because what happened? (laughs) And by the way, if we're not portraying that, we're not good at advertisements for for the Lord. So people are not attracted to the Christian faith. So you can see that if you can rob the believer of his joy, and we work in the office, we're in the playing field, we're in our homes, we're in the marketplace, we don't display this abundant joy that we should have. uh, The attraction of Christ is diminished. And you can see that the agent behind that who who would who would want uh, who would not who would want would not want the believer to be an attraction. Who would not want the, the believer to exhibit the abundant life? Satan. The enemy, right? And I I don't doubt in my. And then the other thing about it is this: I think that people have become too emotional. They want their feelings tickled. Uh, they're not so much want to engage the mind we're not a generation that wants to think any longer we want people to think for us uh, and I think that's one of the big mistakes when it comes to the Christian faith I have said this several times and it is repeating The Bible deals with truth, and truth can only appeal to the mind. It can not appeal to the emotions. Your emotions are only affected as you understand the truth. But what people are doing today, including many preachers, they're bypassing the mind and going straight to the emotions. They're using uh, illustrations. They're using stories to tickle people's imagination, get their emotions going. But by the time those people leave the service, there's nothing to hold on to because there's no truth, really. And I think that's the age in which we're in. The Bible talks about that, that the day will come when people will not... uh, hold to the truth and want the truth, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And I think that's where we are today. And the sad fact is is that the pastors are accommodating that and giving the people exactly what they want. And I think that's where there's such a deficiency in the teaching of the word, exposition of the word, and why there's so many Christians that are so weak and uh, can't seem to take a a good stand, and um, the Christian life is pretty much a drab.
0: You mentioned early on that assurance of salvation is almost a step beyond, I think is the words you used, uh, beyond uh, eternal security. Uh, It's a piece. What are some reasons that believers would not have assurance of salvation? If I'm struggling with assurance of my salvation, where should I be looking to correct that? The answer is
1: very simple. The Bible that people bring to church is only open when they come to church. Hmm i would challenge uh i i don't know if we'll ever get a chance to do it but brother robert and myself our, our youth pastor we're talking about doing a survey i would uh hazard a guess that if we were to do a survey in the churches in Antigua, and i wish we could do the caribbean to ask some very basic questions do you ever read the bible how frequently do you read it it would be embarrassing these yeah. statistics would be embarrassing People are not reading Scripture. They're only opening the Bible when they come to church. They're not meditating on Scripture. They're not finding out things for themselves. The other thing is that people are not reading. They're not reading good, solid books. When I was a little boy and I first got saved, uh, The Daily Bread, Richard DeHance books, uh, those couldn't be given to me fast enough. Those are the things I... Cut my teeth on as it were, but that developed the habit of wanting to read, so I want to find out and find out and find out the other thing is of course that people are not memorizing scripture uh, that's a loss back again and the 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 uh, the other other thing of course is that the pulpit doesn't preach on these things um, they do a lot of emotional stuff and uh, try to talk about what are people's current needs, et etc. et cetera, need-oriented preaching. Uh, and not only that as well, I think because they don't have a personal life with God, and often it has to do with the lifestyle that they're living. They feel guilty because they know what they're doing is wrong, and they haven't gotten victory over their besetting sin. And because they promised God today, I will not do that again and tomorrow morning. Do it because they don't have any power. They reached a point where uh, they don't have any confidence in the Christian faith in law because they don't own any victory. And that in itself leads to them to have a lack of security. Uh,
0: First John 3, 9 talks about a uh, believer coming to the point where they uh, perfection or they no longer sin. Is that what that verse is talking about? First John 3, 9... Uh, says, whoever is born of God does
1: not commit sin? Yes. For the seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Again, uh, what this is really teaching that he that is born of God does not continuously practice sin or habitually practice sin. For he that is born of God, uh, he says, has a seed that is a new nature uh, within, him, within him and he cannot be practicing because he is born of God. That is so important and that is why. Uh, we got to understand that a habitual life of sin is inconsonant with being a born-again believer. And because the believers change and transform, we cannot be in the habit of practicing sin because the seed of God is within us, the nature is within us. And once we are practicing sin, we'll always feel guilty. Therefore, we can never have the joy of knowing that we are saved eternally.
0: Pastor, thank you very much for the very clear explanation tonight on Hebrews chapter six. And on the doctrine of eternal security of the believer. Thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you for your interaction, and we look forward to having you join us again next week for another exciting, practical, and interactive program. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us for today's program.